welcome once again to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and as always, I am pleased and I'm honored to be your host and your commentator for another of our commentary shows. One of the shows that we have up on air and online, almost the same thing these days, pretty much, here at www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com. The, I suppose the online part is the podcast feed, the first link on that homepage, the address I just gave you. The second, the uh, on air, or at least the analogy to uh, being on air, the analogish feeling of being on air coming with your interaction with the second link on that homepage, the, uh, the Radio Loop link, that effectively allows you to uh, listen to this show. This show, yeah, uh, at least as long as it's the first show on the podcast feed. While it's the first show on the podcast feed, the show on the radio link, the same one, this one, uh, when you hit the link, you'll pick it up at whatever point it happens to be because it's playing in a loop and you uh, get interested just as you would in the good old analog days of, uh, of, of listening to a radio show or uh, by simply turning on the dial and picking it up wherever it was and getting interesting. The, the advantage or the, the extra bonus that you get with our radio loopish way of doing things is that assuming you do get interested, and we hope you do, uh, you basically get to listen to the part you missed because the show loops it repeats when it gets to the end within about like three seconds or something it starts all over again so it's kind of um uh it, it's it's a show with benefits as it were and and i and i think a lot of people we've found over the years seem to really enjoy it we've we've been offering it this way from the beginning uh almost uh, now almost 800 episodes of center left radio ago so uh, and we'll keep doing it because you seem to enjoy it, and uh, we like to give you uh, the easiest way to share some time with us. So once again, welcome to Center Left Radio. Uh, on this Valentine's Day here in uh, America, and I, and I believe it's celebrated uh, in other parts of the world also, I can't really speak to that. I know that we still make a big deal about it over here in this country, um, I, 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 it's funny, I think about um, you know, being in an Indian family, being married into an Indian family. Uh, one of the jokes was, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I've thought about is, is Mother's Day. Uh, you know, whenever, whenever you have one of these holiday sort of things where you're supposed to go out of your way to uh, focus on a particular person or a category of people, uh, mothers, for example. Well, if you're an Indian family, every day is Mother's Day. And and analogously, I think just about every day is Valentine's Day. Uh, it, it's just in the culture. In America, we have this need to sort of uh, uh, set aside a day uh, as though we would otherwise forget to love those who are closest to us if we didn't have a special day to do it. Um, it's a marketing ploy, I think, more than anything else. There was a Saint Valentinus, or Valentinius, and uh, he was a Christian martyr, and apparently, uh, I don't know. I, 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 
I don't know. I, I'd, I'd have to go back and figure all this out. Uh, I wish my wife a happy Valentine's Day this morning, and maybe we'll go out a bit later this evening, or if not today, maybe another day this week or something, and we'll say it was special for Valentine's Day. I hope that we don't need to really, really uh, set aside this day to remind ourselves that there's a, a certainly a love and affection uh, between and among us, and I'm not just speaking to my spouse, I'm talking to everybody listening here. M make every day a little Valentine's-ish if you can. Uh, we really shouldn't have a need to set it aside, but, you know, it's commercial and it's fun, and I suppose it gives people a chance to buy silly underwear or something like that. And, and this being America in the year 2023, uh, this Valentine's Day, um, well, why should it be different than any other day so far this year? Uh, it is the date of yet another um, mass shooting in America. This, this one on the campus of the University of Michigan in Lansing, sort of southern, cent southern lower Michigan. Uh, and so far... Three people dead, five people shot, several of those will probably die. No, no immediate uh, understanding of the connection between the killer and the people. That'll all come out. There's bound to be a news conference any minute about this. And, uh, and uh, the killer, of course, uh, committed suicide uh, upon being confronted. Still no verification of the type of weapon used, but obviously a gun. And on and on. And you can... There, there's virtually a... Um, there's a menu, you know, columns A, B, C, and D. Pick, pick the point in the story or the pick, pick the point in the news report where you would be. And here are the three or four choices. The choices include the precise type of automatic weapon, the precise number of people killed, whether or not the gunman successfully, uh, A, attempted to kill himself, B, did in fact kill himself. It seems it's always men. I'm surprised that there aren't more women who are perpetrating these murders, but we'll probably get up. We'll catch up to that. And, uh, and the mo but the one where the only column where there's nothing Nothing in the column, just a single statement. That's the response of the gun lobbies or the, uh, or the Republican Party generally. And in that column is a big fat goose egg. It's silence. It's, it's a acquiescence to the, the process, to the death of these people. It's a failure to recognize that over 90% of the American people again and again and again basically say that they want an effective uh, background screening checks to be done. I would imagine if you could get that far, it wouldn't be hard to get federal legislation that would then begin retroactively applying those background checks to people who so far have not had them. I mean, there are something like, there are more guns in America than there are people. So, and, and the vast majority of those, presumably, possessed by people who do not or have never been through any kind of background screening. So we maybe, if we could get the first part of this, the part that 90% of the American people want, namely the, uh, the background checks, 
possibly that would include, I mean, this is really stretching things, or maybe, or maybe we would only pass it, and it'll go into effect in two years. We'll start checking people out. I, I don't know. I mean, it's some stupid thing like that. But in, a, in, a, in the best-case scenario, you put the background, background checks in, and you begin immediately with the process of going backwards and saying, okay, everyone who was never screened for a gun you got to basically be screened. Now, how would you go about setting that up? How would you go about identifying these people? How would these people identify themselves to authorities? Uh, obviously, a bunch of kids, in, in inner-city kids who have illegally gotten their hands on guns aren't going to be uh, particularly amenable to the idea of conforming to these rules, but it's a starting point. And Maybe that would ultimately, once we began getting some control here, the rationality of getting away from a gun culture altogether. I would, I would imagine a time would come when we would outlaw, literally, all but military weaponry needed for, for defense of the country. We're getting back to the meaning of the Second Amendment. And possibly... Uh, certified hunting weapons, the cultural uh, overhang, the, the cultural uh, hangover uh, of, of our country, our notion that we actually have to go hunting for our meal, for our dinner, be it tradition, be it daddy passing it on to son, etc. It's still a deadly weapon and all that. But okay, let's make allowance for that as well. And we wind up removing that way somewhere in the range of about, oh, I don't know, 300 million plus weapons. We, 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 we've got to get to the Australian model at some point. I, I remind people what the Australian model really is. It was essentially getting to a point of being so fed up with murders being committed with uh, automatic weapons and everything else that the Australian legislature, as, as prompted by their then president, I forget which Australian president it was, says, that, that's it, it's over, it's done. We're getting rid of guns. And they did. I don't know what the total number was. It was in the millions, but they got rid of them. It was like, okay, these are gone. Rather than saying that we are victims of the Second Amendment and we have no choice but to go ahead and to continue to uh, have guns and really not be able to control them because, well, we, we just don't have the option. Well, of course, we have the option. We have the ability to stop this pretty much every any time we want. And we know that 90% of the country is behind that. So we're up to, I don't know, I, I, was, I was looking at a statistic this morning. I think we're up to 62 or 67 mass shootings so far this year. A shooting uh, with someone who has gone out and shot more than one person uh, with a gun, and, and there have been injuries or deaths uh, in accordance with that. Mass shooting in America. Everybody, 90% plus, against the idea of unrestricted dissemination of guns. There must be some... And yet nothing happens. I, we, I, I, you, you could record what I'm saying right now and play it back at the next mass shooting, and it would sound fresh. It would sound brand spanking new. There just seems to be 
nothing that can be done. And of course there is something that can be done at any time, but there is the financial burden of the, uh, the gun lobbyists themselves, and then of course the National Rifle Association, and, and the Republican Party and the fear of the, of the base. And, the, and, and you, you can kind of run this thing on and on and explain or try to explain away why the will of 90% of the American people is summarily and continually thwarted by Republicans. How, how can this be? And, and this, this is really at issue here. This, this is the whole thing. People are so fed up and sick and tired, but government seems to be powerless to do anything about it. Or, or are people, are, are, we, are we schizophrenic? I mean, do we say when, a, uh, when, when questioned by a pollster or somebody doing statistical analysis of these things, do you favor gun control? And I don't know what the answer to that generally is, but then they start drilling down and they say, how about background checks, universal background checks? Yes, absolutely, 90% of the people. Then you have the Republican Party saying, well, we really can't do this because the Second Amendment says it has to be wide effing open. Then you have the Supreme Court weighing in not too long ago with another decision after Heller basically saying that, well, you can't have laws that are too strict. And the strictness rules would seem to include a certain amount of questioning people about what their ability and mindset and, and, and motivations are in having guns. We, all of the institutions of government seem to be aligned against the will of the people. I mean, am, am, I, am I missing this? Maybe I'm missing something, but it seems that the, the, in the end, everybody, if 90% of America, that would have to include politicians somewhere in there, can say, we want universal background checks. And yet there's always a way, there's some rationalization made that says that, no, no, we, we, our law, our tradition, our constitution, our courts, no, they say we can't possibly run with the will of 90% of the American people. Now, I, I ask you, how, how long can you sustain, or how long can a democracy, a functional liberal democracy, a Madisonian, Jeffersonian democracy. How long can you sustain a situation where the structure of what it is that everybody agrees to be under is incapable of dealing with the will of 90% of the population? And, and, and that's really the question of, of our era. The, the ineffectiveness of government. Look, look at the, the ratings, if you will, okay, the, the popularity ratings, the, the positive statements relative to our Congress uh, the, on the national level. Look, look at the ratings of the Supreme Court. Look at, look at even, and, and this is weird, 
look at the ratings of the president right now. Joe Biden can't seem to get out of the 40s uh, for the life of him. This is what people tend to say. And yet, and yet, the policies that he has promoted, when you start, when you start drilling down on all of the, uh, on all of the, uh, uh, the anti-inflation bills and, and everything else and all the post-COVID stuff that he's done, his policies are uniformly popular across the country, often in the 60s, sometimes in the 70s, uh, in, terms of, in terms of rating. You, there seems to be a disconnect between people liking him and liking what he's doing. That's very different. Okay, at least he's in power. And what he's doing is popular. There's, there's a linkage there. But if 90% of the country wants universal background checks enforced and created as a law from the federal government, from, from the federal, and, 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 and one minority, a minority of the country, the minority party, not in, not in the House right now, although numerically in the country, the Republicans are always a minority. They have been for quite some time because they have never realigned with the, with the, over, with the majority of the populace. They haven't found a way to align with most of the people. If, if, the, a, functional, if a functional, you know, bicameral, uh, Jeffersonian liberal democracy, constitutional democracy is dependent on the will of a majority which respects the rights of a minority but does not does not concede them constantly so if the majority can't rule as a majority or or if majority opinion can't be enforced by a constitutional government <clears throat> if a minority position can be set up in a way that literally trumps, proper use of the word, the majority position again and again and again by, by, by skillful manipulation of, 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 the, of the tools of government, by thwarting the popular will, well, then I think it, it, it's, it's reasonable it's reasonable to have such low opinion of these uh, instruments of government like the legislature, like the Congress, you know, down in the sub-20% area uh, of the Supreme Court in the sub-20% range right now because things are seen as being political weaponization. But when the Republicans turn around and say, we're starting a committee and they're running it right now. We were talking about this on the last show. On the weaponization of government, they're doing nothing more than swift boating. They're doing, they're doing a Karl Rove special. They're essentially saying, we're accusing, we want to use the creation of this committee of weaponization as a vehicle for dis dissipating our own guilt in this for, for being the source of the very thing that we're attempting to now 
place on the backs or or basically complain as though it's really being done to us rather than us doing it to the American people and to government. It's known as swift boating. You take your worst fault and you put it on your opponent. You simply start talking as though, oh, no, 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 no. Yes, you may have seen me shooting those people on the street, but that was actually my opponent. It was, Your Honor, it, it was the district attorney who was shooting the people, not me, says the criminal. It, it, it's right out there. It's, it's an old playbook. Karl Rove really brought this to a level of, of, of art form in the second Bush election, when, when, when Bush 43 ran against John Kerry, Kerry being the military hero, the, the decorated military hero from Vietnam, Bush being the running away from service, daddy getting him into the Texas National Guard, and Bush hardly showing up, and in the end, by some skillful manipulation, keeping the proof of all that, not, not Kerry's bravery, that was out there, but, but, Bush's, but Bush's hiding in the National Guard, the technical papers that would have proved it suddenly disappeared at the last second, and Dan Rather, CBS, who was about to put this all out there before the election, suddenly found himself, rather than the purveyor of a, one of the better stories out there, and, and basically getting behind the lies of George Bush and the people who were covering for him, and rather finds himself out of a job as the chief anchor of, C, anchor of CBS because the guy who had the stuff was gotten to by the right sources. They hushed up the story. It was a, it was a, you know, it was a uh, catch and kill kind of a situation. I, I imagine there was more of an analogy than I think anyone would want to recognize uh, to what, what might have happened to the guy who had this information had he gone ahead and put it out uh, to CBS as he had agreed to, uh, to Dan Rather. We are in a situation where it no longer makes sense, the idea of a weaponization of government committee by Republicans who have done nothing but weaponize government over the last 20 years, who basically have found a way to use their minority position to thwart the will, generally, of the American people, and then to turn around and say, well, you know, it's the other side that's doing what we're doing. This it began 20 years ago. It began with Karl Rove, who George Bush 43 said was the architect of his uh, re-election, basically teaching Republicans how to lie incredibly well. It, it, it actually started the prior election with the first Bush election, with the hanging chads, and the Secretary of State, was it? Was that what her position was in Florida? Refusing to allow that one final count to go through, which would have shown that, that, uh, that uh, Al Gore won the state of Florida by, I think it was uh, under 1,000 votes, and of course won the popular vote by a few million, and all of that was thrown out in a Supreme Court decision that went against its own tradition of not interfering with state election processes. 
and it went so far out of its way to reverse that. It was sort of a, a, a sort of well, there was already a conservative Republican majority that, of course, put it was purely purely um, uh, purely political. And it was a presage of what ultimately was done to Roe v. Wade a few years later, just now. This keeps building up and building up and building up. And you find, and we find ourselves here at a point where the majority rule or the majority will of the people seems less and less meaningful. It is simply... You, you can have an opinion, and then you sit back and see, well, which way is the wind blowing, and who, who has control of the levers? And there's this disconnect between the people generally, 90% want gun control at a federal level, and what is ultimately done or what is not done, because the majority of people no longer are in a position to influence the results of, uh, of elections, I mean, yes, you, someone can win, someone can lose, but, but you can't influence the activities of the people in control. There's this very odd disconnect, and it seems to have solidified. And, it, and, and forgive me, Republicans, but you guys are the ones who seem to have figured out how to do this simply because you can't get the majority of the populace to vote for you, so you've found ways to overcome popular will. You've, you've, you've found a logic for grievance. You've found a way to, to be angry enough to feel that anything is possible. You've, you've gotten us used to this rabidness of a base that doesn't want to hear nothing and they're sick and tired of being downtrodden and they're, they're sick and tired of feeling bad and now they can be bad. Somehow there's this, there's this permission slip that has been given to people who basically are bad actors. And we're being asked as a nation to tolerate this, to tolerate bad actors because, well, you know, they feel bad. It, 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 you go back to the to the Trump uh, the Trump inauguration the the Trump uh, uh, yes his inauguration speech the Great American Wasteland just basically a huge permission slip to people who felt bad who felt grievance the people that he I give it I give this to Trump that he brilliantly focused on realizing that there was this under, undercurrent of anger and and dissatisfaction and he focused on these people and basically keeping them fed with stuff not doing but stuff mostly undoing and 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 getting rid of was was what it was all about it was basically being a counterculturist or going counter to lib democratic ideas and principles. This whole idea of kicking back and fighting back and punching back and yeah, yeah, and, and this, this barroomish sort of bellow that basically came out of the Trump administration, knocking things down, getting rid of the, the culture war notion of the country. This has metastasized into basically largely a, 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 uh, a control imposed by a minority of the country. And, I, and I, simply, I simply pose the question back, how long 
can you sustain a government in that situation? The, the notion of people feeling that they could go ahead uh, in January of 2021 and actually with an insurrection led by the President of the United States in total dereliction of duty and, 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 and in total criminal uh, defiance of his oath of office, the fact that you could have that happen is really just an extension of the notion in an odd way, that the will of the people is meaningless. And we're really only spectators to what results from the inability of our leaders to basically respond to our will. I, 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 uh, it, 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 it sparks some amazing, amazing cultural differences too. The other day I was, uh, was going to give a, a, a friend of mine, a dear friend, uh, has a birthday on, on 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 Valentine's Day, and we and we were we were doing a party over at his house, he and his wife, uh, over the weekend, and I was I was thinking of joke gifts. Now he has for whatever he's a highly educated guy, and he has for whatever reason drifted more and more into a Republican sphere and has become a huge fan of Tucker Carlson of all people. And by the way, and if you knew this guy. Uh, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, the, the, the polar opposite, polar opposite, able to argue with the best of them, brilliant guy, uh, you know, an academician, and, and just brilliant guy. And suddenly, arguing Tucker-esque uh, talking points, uh, every time you mention Ukraine, all you hear is the Minsk Accord, you never hear of anything about Russia. Uh, every time you talk about uh, anything to do with, uh, oh, I, I, I could go on and on, and I, and I won't. But we decided we were going to go ahead, and I was going to, and I, I said, let me, let me get him the most recent book by Tucker. That would be fun. We're, we're, we, we love each other. We're friends. Yeah, there can be arguments, but there's a lot of love there also. But it would have been a joke, a joke gift. Let me get you a Tucker book. So I went online, I, got, I wound up in Amazon someplace, and, and there's the Tucker book, and, and there's a link there. Uh, this is the one that he published in 2018. And there's a link, and you can start listening to it as an audio book as well. And I said, what the hell? And I don't spend a lot of time listening to Tucker, Fredrickson, uh, Tucker Carlson. But I, but I hit it. And there's Tucker's voice, and he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's got, he's got a good presentation. The guy presents very, very well. Sounds very rational, very reasonable. Sounds extremely tweety. Uh, sounds like it might have been not quite a Bill Buckley-ish kind of a looking down, like you know, his his nose and eyes were just basically positioned looking downward at everyone. And, but he was fun. Uh, but Tucker has that tweety thing down to a science. And he starts talking about um, why would America elect a Donald Trump? And the answer, and he comes, he goes, happy nations do not elect Donald Trumps. Whoa, my ears perk up. And it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. He, he goes, and, and, and it was like, well, geez, you know that. Now, he didn't say he didn't like Donald Trump. He didn't say he wasn't in favor of Trumpian policies. But he made the odd concession that Trump is the product of an un, 
happy country, or at least unhappy people. He then goes on to say, and you have to follow this, it was, it was really skillful, not be, and, and Hillary Clinton lost, not, not, be, not because of the Russians. Or, and if, you're, if you've still absorbed that notion of unhappy people electing Trump, and you know later on in this book he's going to find ways of working with Trumpian positions, but, but, the, but, the, but the sucker punch, the rope-a-dope process, is to say people are unhappy. And you are, even if you are not a Republican or you started off not as a, as a Tucker fan, from his tone of voice, from the way he presented himself, it's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, I, I can agree that only unhappy people would vote for Donald Trump. But that's not the point he was making, you see. What he did was, and it was skillful, very skillful, it was a way of, of actually uh, thwarting, of blunting, of negating the notion that, it could, that there could have been Republican interference. No, she, she, did, she didn't lose. He said it calmly. No, she didn't lose because of the Russians. She lost because there were unhappy people in this America, in America here. And, and, it, re, and it just reminded me the simplification the, finding a, simply, a simple way of explaining something as not so much an, an appealing and letting that appeal to saying it in a way that allows you to embrace it and feel smart about it. And, and, and the thing is that he then tried to completely push away the findings of the Mueller report, the fact that there were 10 sets of things that happened that Mueller did not ultimately define as criminal, but were. Any, any lawyer looking at it said, yes, I can make a criminal charge out of this. There's a count. Here it is. Blah, blah, blah. I think I, think I said this on a prior show. The stuff in the Mueller report was like, there was a guy on the street. There were two guys on the street. One of them had a gun. The man with the gun held up the gun pointed it in the direction of the man uh, that did not have a gun and uh, squeezed the trigger. There was a loud noise and a moment later, the other person who did not have the gun uh, fell to the ground uh, and uh, expired later on. And that's it. Now, Nowhere does it say, oh, by the way, the guy consciously turned around and killed the other guy and he murdered him. Therefore, there is a criminal. No, none, none of the conclusory elements are there. There are bare facts tossed out there. And it simply begs the reader to say, well, if we can establish motivation... And we can, just by the, the, it's inferrable motivation just from the statement of the facts. But then, of course, in a court case, you would go ahead and you would establish the linkage, the mindset for criminal purposes between the actions of what was done and the people and the results of what happened. But nowhere in the Mueller report does it say there was, therefore, a criminal uh, event committed. There was a crime committed. And since it didn't say that, Bill Barr turned around because he was being pressured by Trump. And he said, well, since, since there is no statement to the effect 
that uh, there was a crime committed. Well, I, I hereby declare, says Bill Barr, who suddenly uh, became a, uh, a, a, an apostle of the opposite side when he decided to actually testify before the January 6th committee and called it all bull, you know, Trump was bat crazy or whatever the hell he called him and, was, you know. Uh, you know, he goes ahead, Bill Barr goes ahead and, uh, and says, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, 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 um, uh, it's not a crime. It never was said to be a crime. So I declare it's not lying, just completely lying. And track that to, to Tucker Carlson, who says, well, you know, Hillary lost not be, a un, because people were unhappy. And, and we're supposed to wipe out all other reality. But you see, that way of looking at the world, this hypersimplification, appeals to a bunch of people. Now, if that bunch of people is also put in a position, or they're used as an excuse for people to do or not do things, the people who have been simplified by these thought processes, the people who now feel as though you know, yeah, I have tons of grievances. I hate I've been left behind. But I secretly want to be a snob like Tucker. I basically, I really, really, really want to feel snobby and snotty. And boy, what I wouldn't give to look down at those libs and be able to stick my nose down. And yeah, you hear what Tucker said? It was because people were unhappy. Well, I was unhappy. And, and I don't have to think about anything else. I don't have to notice anything else. I don't have to notice that there was an insurrection. I don't have to notice that at least 10 crimes were spelled out by the Mueller report. I don't have to know any of that detail. All I have to say is that I was unhappy. And then, if I can actually be part of a group of people that... And, 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 then, and then there is a group of people in Washington, these Republicans, who seem to be energized or seem to be totally responsive to my uneducated opinion about why things are the way they are. They seem to listen to only my grievances. And you, and you accelerate and you, and you amplify this process until we get to where we are today. That a group of people whose misconceptions about truth and fact have in fact been fed by Republicans, now seem to find themselves in a position of making people respond to them. And the Republicans have found these crafty ways of getting around the will of the majority of people, using in their own minds, I imagine, uh, the fear of the base that they have cultivated to be non-critical thinkers as the motivation for basically ignoring the will of the majority of the people. Now, 90% of the people on, on gun control, that's got to include most of the base also. But that doesn't matter. What's most important is grievance, is anger, is, is pointing a finger at the other side as secretly wanting to be snobbier than those libs. I know a lot of libs who ain't particularly snobby. But, but, but that's what we've been reduced to. And this is what we're looking at as a f allegedly functional constitutional democracy system. And I, and I keep posing the question, how long can we kid ourselves that we will collectively put up with this non-functionality? How long can we 
get away with lying to ourselves about this? How long before we simply say, no, we will not allow a, a persecution by a minority to overrule the will of the majority and frankly, over, overrule common sense in the way we basically run our own country. We can't protect ourselves from our guns because we have a constitutional amendment that becomes a God-given right to have guns and we know that putting more guns out there only makes things worse, but we can't do a thing about it. When, when it gets to that point, and when we really begin to believe in our hearts of hearts that our system can't respond to us, if the Republicans are ultimately successful in convincing the majority of the country that no matter what we do, we can't deal with our own problems, we can't really work with immigration, we can't deal with guns, we can't deal with poverty and hunger, we can't deal with proper policing methods, we can't, we can't review our own history, we can't really do anything. If enough people believe that, then everyone will be for some form of insurrection, or at least some form of overwhelming and overruling and getting rid of what the hell is out there. Well, our enemies, our external enemies, keep track of these things as well. A lot of people are noticing that America is not doing particularly well in that regard. And, 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 and it's, it's damned dangerous to basically continue to, to find excuses to allow the minority of the country to overwhelm the, the, better, the better angels of the majority. You can't keep this going. You can't have a final arbiter on the judicial level, a Supreme Court, that is perceived to be a nothing but a pure political institution, not concerned a lick with its own traditions of stare decisis, not subject to any mandatory ethical controls. You can't do this for an extended period of time and expect there to be somehow a parallel democracy that happens and continues and every Everything about the country and our traditions and flags, it happens in spite of the fact that we're not functioning like the democracy we're supposed to be, the democracy that exists on paper. Yes, we've had ups and downs, but you can't do, we can't just throw it in our own faces that we're going to have, that the reality and the, and the on paper reality will be that diametrically different. You can't do that for an extended period of time. I, I don't know how long the acceptable period of time is that you can do this at all. But we're doing it right now. And I would simply suggest that we have to find a way out of it. We have to face the fact that, the, uh, that a tyranny of the majority for an extended period, cannot basically be sustained in a f otherwise functional constitutional democracy. 
in an otherwise liberal, you know, Madisonian, Jeffersonian democracy. You can't continue it indefinitely. We've done it now for around 20 years. And we did it for a bit before that, but we've done it glaringly. We did it by swift boating. We did it by, by just turning everything around and saying, who the hell cares that we're turning facts on their heads and no one notices? At least we don't want to. We got away with it. We can do it. And if you have grievances, any manipulation, any, any bastardization, any lying about facts is okay. As long as you have grievances, it's okay. All of this is permissible because you've been downtrodden and you've felt so bad for so long. And it's about time the other side. But that's not how it works. You vote. You have winners, you have losers. No, 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 we can't lose, says Donald. And, and a whole ton of people go along with him. We can't lose because then, then, no, our grievance says we must win. We can't lose. Don't you understand the days when you win are over, no matter what? Well, then you don't have a democracy. We've, we've got to get this into our heads. A lot of people have got to get this. I, 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 I'm trying to, I guess, I guess I tie it all to the gun situation. I tie it. It's all connected. It's grievance over fact and excuses to basically overwhelm the, 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 the spirit and often the letter of our constitutional democracy in the name of unresolvable grievance using the mechanisms that are legally available or presented within our constitution. We can't depend on voting. No, we can't, uh, no, we, because we might lose. Well, we will, because, well, we know, because the numbers aren't with us. We don't want, but we can't get enough people to be behind us, so we have to find a way around that, because our grievances make us eligible for whatever the hell we want, because we've been downtrodden too long or some such bullshit. Uh, <laughs> happy Valentine's Day, one and all. But I, 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 just, I just summarize again. You cannot have a continuing successful constitutional Jeffersonian, Madisonian democracy. You can't have it hold up under scrutiny. You can't have it being true to its constitutional basis, to its historical intent, if you basically feel that grievance gives you license to manipulate, to basically overwhelm, that you are allowed to function in a parallel mechanism that, that works beyond and over and away from where things are or what they're supposed to be in terms of the will of the majority uh, respecting the rights of the minority of true progressivism that essentially says we sit down we we hash it out no one gets everything and we move on from there we find accommodation we compromise now once you say no we can only be in a non-compromising position because we have been aggrieved and we have grievances and our grievances allow us to supersede all other constitutional mechanisms think just just think about that understand that no matter how 
how nice the Tuckerisms may sound, no matter how easily they slip off the tongue, how, how delightfully you're able to recite things that sound so smart to your friends around you, and how much you have to ignore so much in the way of other factual materials. There's always an argument. It doesn't work that way. The majority of the people, and in America, we do have, I think the majority usually are pretty reasonably smart. We have a majority of Democrats, we have independents, and then we have Republicans. And between the independents and the Democrats, we'll usually come up with rational thoughts about how things should happen. Not pure grievance-based bullshit. Gotta change this. Gotta at least think about it. We have to recognize that there can be some very undesirable consequences if we allow ourselves to actually now get it into our heads that, that the only way we will ever be, and we can't get beyond this, it's, 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 it's our fate forever. We can only be run by, there can only be the tyranny of a minority that is, that is empowered and is enabled and feels and feels justified because they feel aggrieved. And when everybody begins to feel aggrieved by that, when the other side begins to feel aggrieved, when everybody is operating out of pure grievance, then the levers of government, voting, legislation, judicial review, all of this will become secondary. And then things get really messy. Let's not go there. We, 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 can, we can do better than that. We really, really can. But there's a limited window during which we have to make up our minds to stop this crap. We have to talk about it. And we have to talk to one another. A lot. A lot more. But, well, <laughs> happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Oh my, um, yeah, with a little jazz.
This is Richard Gazer. You know, it takes lots of time and effort and all kinds of resources to produce the kind of quality program we produce here at Center Left Radio. And it costs money to do it. Now, if we screamed a little louder or thought a little less about what we were saying, we could probably get a few advertisers to pay us to sell their products to a more tribally predictable audience. But that's not who we are or who you are. You come to Center Left Radio for non-commercial, thoughtful commentary. You're looking for an honest, progressive approach to solving America's problems, not exacerbating them. And we're committed to providing all of that. We're one of the few stations offering full-time, non-commercial, progressive programming. And we're the only station, the only one, doing it with a combination of hope, politics, and that most eloquent of all original American art forms, jazz. Think of it this way. We support your needs. Now we're asking you to support ours. Take a moment and go to our website, www.centerlefttalkradio, one word, centerlefttalkradio.com, and go to the donate page. And when you get there, give whatever you can. On a one-time or maybe a recurring basis, whatever you can contribute to make center-left radio's unique progressive voice stronger and even more significant as the full extent of the wrongdoing of Donald Trump and his associates becomes all the more evident and as we seek to hold the House Democrats accountable for the promises they made to the American people during the last election. Yeah, you know what's at stake. And I know, we all know, we can count on you. On behalf of all of us at Center Left Radio, thank you. You've been listening to Center Left Radio, the progressive voice of hope, politics, and jazz. My name is Richard Gazer, and thank you so much for being part of today's show. We live in an America right now where the will of a minority, an aggrieved, a self-defined aggrieved major- minority, is overwhelming the desires of a majority, expressed desires. We might imagine, at least many of us would hope, that it's a temporary situation. But if it seems to congeal, if it begins to feel like it's permanent, look out.